Hello, and welcome to another episode of At Any Rate. I'm your host today, Shika Chaturvedi, and I head JP Morgan's Global Natural Gas Strategy. Today, we're going to discuss the rapid rise in prices for both the U.S. and European natural gas markets over the past two weeks. I'm joined by Otar Jebuatsi, who not only works with me in the natural gas space, but is also part of our global energy strategy team here at JP Morgan. Otar, thank you for joining me. So we will turn to the European markets first. It's, it's the most active right now from a price perspective. Otar, can you kind of give us a lay of the land of some of the supply risks that have emerged over the past few weeks, um, uh, particularly with what's been going on with Israel? Could we start there? Yes. Hi, Shika. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, it was certainly a busy week in European gas markets. We had a uh, few supply risks emerging, some new, some old, uh, like uh, renewed strikes in Australian markets, uh, leaking Baltic connector pipeline, and last but not least, shutdown of uh, Tamar offshore field in Israel. Um, following the tragic events in Israel over last weekend and deteriorating security situation, government has asked Chevron, who operates the field, to close the Tamar gas plant, which is about 25 kilometers offshore from the from Gaza Strip. Uh, accordingly, then Chevron had to shut down the Tamar gas field, which feeds the plant. So why is this important? Is that the field also exports gas to neighboring Egypt, which itself re-exports it via LNG. So it was the potential loss of LNG volumes from Egypt that uh, the European and global LNG markets got concerned about. Um, so we've looked closer at this and seen that the exports from Tamarfield to Egypt is about 2 BCM uh, a year. Uh, and actually bigger volumes in the range of around 5 BCM are actually exported from neighboring Leviathan field from Israel. Uh, in terms of Egypt's LNG exports, uh, last year when it reached a record high of uh, 10 BCM, uh, and about half of it went to Europe, it only accounted still about 3% of European LNG imports. Uh, in terms of Northwest Europe, which is our primary focus market, Egyptian origin LNG imports were equivalent to about 1% of annual demand. So in fundamental terms, we think that this is much more immaterial than the price action would suggest. Uh, but there are maybe an, uh, emerging risks there, which uh, which we can talk about. Uh, and one last thing on LNG exports, uh, one uh, from Egypt, one may think that maybe Asian LNG markets would be a bigger risk. Uh, but Asian, uh, but Asia, in Asia, Egypt only accounted for one to two percent of LNG imports in last year and this year. Okay, great. And so let, let's just talk about some of the other emerging risks, because fundamentally, you're basically saying that right now there's nothing that's really impacting the global LNG markets, but we are above 50 euros per megawatt hour in price. Um, where, where can this thing go uh, with the conflict that has emerged with the Israeli war? Uh, yes, yeah, so obviously the situation became the uh, situation remains uh, emerging and there are still uh, risks to be seen. But potentially uh, bigger risks in Israel gas supply are emerging from other uh, two fields that Israel has at the moment. These are this is Leviathan and Karish fields, and we see, we would see them to come at risk uh, only if conflict escalates further and we see more regional actors involved uh, there. Uh, so Leviathan is the biggest. Um, gas field in uh, in Israel with about 12 BCM annual production. The field itself is relatively safe, about 120 kilometers from the nearest shore and 170 kilometers from the Gaza Strip. It has, though, a processing plant, which is closer to the shore, about 10 kilometers, uh, but it's still 120 kilometers away from Gaza. 
so still relatively safe, but can theoretically come under security threat if other actors are involved, as the platform is about uh, 60 kilometers away from a land border with uh, Lebanon. Um, uh, when it comes to the Karish field, it's relatively new field, uh, which only started production last year, so it's still in a ramp-up mode. Uh, in August, uh, when we have the latest data from a uh, company, it's operated about uh, at 6 BCM annualized production level. For the whole year, it will probably average somewhere between 4 to 5 BCM. Uh, this is a, also an offshore field, and it's more north, so closer to Lebanon. Uh, but uh, it's still about 80 kilometers away from the uh, Lebanon shore and uh, relatively closer to Lebanon maritime border, but um, still offshore and still relatively, uh, relatively safe. Uh, so just to um, just to uh, clarify here, these are obviously emerging situation, and we don't expect these fields to be at risk for now. Uh, but if they did, uh, firstly, it uh, obviously uh, puts Israel's gas and generally energy supply at risk uh, because more than 75% of country's electricity is coming from gas at the moment as Israel decided to phase down on coal. Uh, but more importantly, if we get this risk materialized in the form of uh, other regional um, actors getting into the conflict and potentially uh, disruptions in the Strait of Hormuz, which will uh, impact Qatar's LNG shipments, uh, we will be talking about much more severe consequences for uh, global LNG markets, uh, both for LNG from Qatar, obviously, and uh, also from the crude oil flows, which is outside of our immediate focus, but uh, obviously an important factor in global energy markets. Great. And just very quickly, what, what are um, Qatar's flows and the UAE flows through the Strait of Hormuz as it pertains to the global LNG markets? What's the percentage? Yes, uh, we, we, we estimate that based on the ship tracking data, it's about 2.5, 2 to 2.5 BCM per, uh, per week. Uh, so about 9 BCM uh, a month. Uh, this is uh, significant volumes uh, when we talk about the uh, global LNG market. So Qatar is approximately 20% of total market share globally. So if we uh, if we have uh, disruptions uh, in flows there, it's uh, it's potentially going to be a significant. Yes. So that does sound very significant. And then just very quickly on the Australian LNG strikes, I know we mentioned Egypt and their potential, you know, for their LNG exports to be diminished if in fact we saw a reduction from Israeli exports into Egypt. But um, can you talk about the Australian LNG strikes? And then um, if you could give us a little bit of color on what exactly is going on with this Finland pipe um, that connects to Estonia and does that also impact the European gas market? Yes, sure. Uh, let me start with Australia. It's been in the uh, in, in the focus for quite some time now. Uh, so um, we've been following this very closely over the last uh, couple of months. Uh, they uh, The unions and Chevron reached agreement actually in September with the intermediation of Australia's Fair Work Commission. Uh, but since then, the unions have accused uh, Chevron in reneging the terms and uh, submitted another strike notice uh, on Monday. Uh, so this week, the parties have held rounds of negotiations, uh, and as we understand, they are approaching to, to a final agreement. So last round was actually held today, uh, and uh, even though they still mention a couple of understanding po outstanding points, uh, we understand that this uh, relates uh, to reimbursement of meal and travel costs, which we think are relatively minor issues. So uh, this risk will likely fade away in coming weeks, and uh, we expect that... Um, 
uh, we expect the parties uh, to, to, to settle. Uh, it's also worth mentioning that uh, even when the strikes did happen in September for about two weeks, we didn't actually see lost volumes from uh, these facilities. So uh, the impact, that this risk factor, we think, is uh, kind of um, fading, uh, fading away. Um, and with regards to the Baltic connector, this is a uh, bidirectional pipeline connecting Finland and Estonia with daily capacity of about 7.2 uh, million cubic meters. And it's been operating about uh, half of that level. Uh, there, there was a leak detected over the weekend uh, and local authorities later said that outside activity uh, likely damaged the pipeline and estimated five months to bring it back online. Um, so, uh, with all honesty, we are a bit confused as to why this specific pipe was targeted, given its size. But this event will probably lead to more vigilance by European countries regarding the pipeline and generally gas infrastructure uh, security. Uh, but in terms of the impact, so five-month shutdown would be equivalent to something between half to one BCM lost gas flows between, um, uh, if we estimate it based on actual flows or total capacity. Uh, and as a comparison, Europe's total annual gas consumption is about 500 BCM. So this particular pipeline has relatively small importance in a uh, broad European gas market. And again, fundamentally, this event probably not very uh, significant. Great. Thank you, Otar. So if I'm hearing correctly, for the European market, even though there's been a lot of outstanding risks, we're not actually seeing any sort of fundamental change in supply to the market. Um, despite the fact that price has been rallying as if we are having a supply disruption. Um, and then I think, you know, we need to just focus on the geopolitical risks and to see how this Israeli war emerges um, to see if we do start to include other actors who are, are a bigger force in the natural gas market. Is that correct? Yes, certainly. We think that it's the combination of all these factors happening together uh, created this price momentum. But individually, each of them so far, um, we don't find them uh, significant, but obviously geopolitical risk is there and it can go in a um, in wide, uh, wide range of scenarios. Um, Shika, with, the, uh, with these developments, uh, obviously some uh, quite unprecedented, maybe the uh, US market uh, lost a bit of uh, attention this week, but the prices are up uh, in US as well, uh, about 20% since the beginning of uh, this month. So um, could you maybe um, talk us through what has uh, what was happening in the U.S. natural gas market? Yeah, so I mean, there there has been a couple of things that have happened. I think we need to start with positioning. Um, we had a market that was still pretty overwhelmingly short in, from the investor side, uh, especially in the nearer term. Um, and so when we started to see some bullish catalysts, it really did kind of shake up the market and exacerbate the price move to the upside. Um, and some of those bullish catalysts have been a colder sort of October that's been coming in. We've revised our October weather forecast now. It's, it's just shy of the 30-year normal, so it's above the 10-year normal. Um, and it has increased demand, um, and it has, it has caused our end October storage trajectory to fall down towards 3.79 TCF. So this is far tighter than we ever imagined. And then the second bullish catalyst seem to be the um, sort of change in timeline or the uh, reassessment and timeline by the market for the Golden Pass facility. Um, it's really that facility and that change that actually got us today to, uh, uh, to, to revise our price forecast for Cal 24 higher. Um, so I think you know, what's important is that uh, Golden Pass essentially uh, submitted uh, a request for permission to start up its commissioning process 
for train one as of November 20th, 2023. Um, so that's far faster than we had anticipated. This is a facility that has definitely wreaked havoc in our supply and demand forecast. At the start of the year, we had it ramping up in one Q24 and then through earnings calls, we kind of pushed that back based off of messaging to 3Q24. And it was really what prompted our more bearish call on 2024 price. But now that we're starting to see commissioning activity increase pretty, you know, pretty early, much significantly earlier than expected, we ultimately um, have to build in and bake in some more feed gas flowing in 1Q24. And what that's done is it's changed our end March storage trajectory. Uh, we're down closer to 1.86 TCF from previously 1.9. Um, and our end October 2024 storage trajectory has changed very significantly. It used to be sitting above 4 TCF. It's now closer to 3.8 TCF. And as we've discussed earlier, um, you know, a four, above 4 TCF in end October 2024 was already indicative of a very bullish 2025 story and narrative for the U.S. natural gas market. So a 3.8 is even more bullish. And so I think that the market is gearing up for kind of this sort of bullish push. There are two things that we'd like to caution about um, in, with this price rally. One is the sustained nature of this price rally seems to be around this week, particularly stronger cash prices. Um, we're not quite sure what was driving the incredible strength in Henry Hub, but what we do know um, is that the surrounding physical points were actually weaker than expected. So it suggests that this is really a Henry Hub issue. It could be something to do with supply disruptions during maintenance periods, or it could be the fact that you know some storage operators were capitalizing on injecting storage into the ground right now into those uh, discretionary storage facilities. The second um, thing that I think that we need to just be careful about is that production, although it has been low over the past month, during maintenance season, that was driven by the Northeast and the Permian. Both of those regions will rebound in production. And we're already starting to see that with Permian Highway coming back from maintenance. So we are seeing 102 BCF prints. Haynesville has not turned yet. Um, it's still looking very sticky. And we are hearing that it's, it has to do with the fact that some of the wells are performing better than expected. So we'll have to see how that kind of plays out. Um, the last thing that I would say is around power burn. You know, we have an opportunity here sitting at above, significantly above $3 per MMBT to really look at power generation and its impact um, from higher prices. And it does look like power is being impacted at this time. It's a very short, small sample set of data points. Um, so it's a little early to kind of definitively say it, but those data points alone do suggest that there has been some impact to power generation so we do definitely need to watch that going forward. Um, as is the case in both markets with Europe and US, weather will be the driving sort of force as we look forward to it. And um, we, we hope that you know, ultimately that you know, the resolution to some of these geopolitical risks will come very soon. So thank you, Otar, for joining me today. And thank you all for listening to the Commodities Edition at JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. We look forward in continuing the conversation next week. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023 JP Morgan Chase and company all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on October 13th, 2023.